Hi, I'm Dave Perkins. And I'm Shari Tishman. Welcome to Episode 3 of Season 3 of the Thinkability Podcast. Looking around the world today, we have a theme that probably makes sense to just about everyone. And the theme is complexity. And it makes sense because there's all kinds of complexity in the world that's important to understand. From environmental complexity, to social and political complexity, to the complexity of the physical world, and and so much more. Happily, we're not tackling the whole scope of the topic. Our theme today narrows in a bit. We're focusing on how complexity hides. In fact, you could think of our topic as complexity hide and seek. We have three questions we want to ask. One, how does complexity hide? Two, when should we go looking for it or not? And three, what teachable techniques do we have for unhiding complexity? That is for uncovering it and exploring it. To get started with that first question, how does complexity hide? It's useful to recognize two ways it hides, out of sight and out of mind. They are pretty different. So let's take a look at how each works. So out of sight is a matter of, well, just not that much ready contact. Out of sight may not matter. For instance, the complexity of your smartphone is out of sight. But unless you are especially curious, no need to bother with it. Similarly, heavy machinery and electrical equipment generally are out of sight inside cases, not just because you don't need to bother with what's inside, but because sometimes it's dangerous. Also, some things are out of sight because they just don't show up that much in noticeable ways as we go about our lives. There are lots of aspects of challenging issues that are out of sight in that way. For instance, most of us don't have a sense of the practically infinite ways that fossil fuels figure in our daily lives, not just to gas up our cars and planes, but for heat, for power generation, plastics, asphalts, lubricants, and on and on and on. And as you mentioned, nor do most of us have any idea what's inside of a smartphone, which is quite complicated, but as you say, Dave, out of sight, even though we might use one every day. Out of sight also happens because all we see is the results, but the complex causes are out of sight in the past. Why did that abandoned shopping mall go broke? Or on the political front, some periods of history in various nations have been much less polarized than others. But why? Or for a really long-term example, how did the continents of our Earth come to be arranged as they are? Now, there is nothing particularly surprising about complexity hiding out of sight, and often it's not a problem at all, even a benefit. However, on some practical matters and as citizens, we need a richer sense of some complex features of our world that are not much on our radar. Shari, get us started on that, if you will. Well, as you mentioned, another kind of hiding is out of mind. Complexities are missed because we aren't even very aware that there's any complexity there to think about. And you know, one of the most familiar versions of this is often called the single story. We have one story about what something means or how something happened or how it works. And the pervasiveness of the single compelling narrative gets in the way of recognizing that there could be other important stories. 
It just pushes the possibility of alternative accounts out of mind. Here is another provocative example of out of mind, what's called the illusion of explanatory depth. There are many ordinary things we think we understand pretty well, but we really don't. For instance, some um, zippers. People often say, well, yeah, I understand how a zipper works. But really, what we understand is how to work a zipper. Have you ever actually tried to explain to yourself or anyone just how the slider gets one side of the zipper to interlock with the other or unlock? Good question. Well, here's another example of the illusion of explanatory depth, and this one is, is more political. Thinking about the context of the United States, people in the U.S. often say they understand the Affordable Care Act, which is also sometimes called Obamacare, and they go on to declare themselves in favor of the Affordable Care Act or against it. But when people are asked to explain just how the Affordable Care Act works, they actually don't know that much. And again, the basic idea is so familiar and so much in the news that we think we understand. We have the illusion that we understand, but we don't. I guess a good news piece of this is that when people realize that they don't understand much about the Affordable Care Act, they'll often stand back and say, well, is my opinion of it really that well grounded? And then they might look for more information, which is, of course, a good thing. Another rather surprising example, people with considerable skill in an area typically do not have conscious awareness of much of what they know, especially if they are not involved in teaching that expertise. Well, medical practitioners, sports people, or the grammar of your daily language. You may remember a little bit about nouns and verbs and so on from your formal education. But our languages are really very complex, yet most of us wield them almost effortlessly in everyday contexts without knowing explicitly just what we're doing. So true. Here's another paradoxical case. When you're deeply engaged in something, that deep immersion can push complexities out of mind, hide them, so to speak. You know, classic examples would be immersions in a work of visual art or in music or in theater or immersion in playing a sport. The vivid flow of experience that you're having in those immersive moments kind of work against us standing back and taking in the complexity of what's going on. Now, this doesn't mean you should stand back. Sometimes analysis, as we know, can be the enemy of engagement, but it can also be its friend. Sometimes standing back can actually make the vivid flow of experience even richer. It's a matter of rhythm of engagement, really, not an either-or choice. So out of sight and out of mind. Two different ways that complexity hides. This doesn't mean we always ought to go looking, but sometimes there are good reasons for going to look for complexity. What reasons stand out to you, Dave? Good question. And hey, we have to acknowledge the classic here. Curiosity. When curiosity beckons, yeah, let's go looking. Most of us are intrigued by complexity of some kind, and it can be illuminating and rewarding to go looking for the complexities that beckon you. And if curiosity seems like a lightweight reason, well, keep in mind that curiosity is a prime driver of human knowledge. Shari, you mentioned you talked to some people about this. What did you find out? 
Yeah, it was interesting. You know, in advance of us digging into this topic, I was curious about the different kinds of complexity that people were attracted to. So I conducted some very informal research. I asked a few friends and family members what kind of complexity they felt personally drawn to. I was surprised by how readily people answered the question and how varied their answers were. One person I talked to talked about his interest in the complexity of tough political issues, and he was especially interested in international conflicts and their historical roots. Very complex. Another person talked about her interest in the complexity of how intricate mechanical things work. She mentioned car engines and old-fashioned pocket watches and small appliances. Another person talked about the complexity of language. She's really drawn to pondering the different meanings that words can have, and she talked about the complex way languages and dialects evolve. Yet another person talked about her interest in the dynamics of interpersonal conflict, particularly for her, the conflicts that she notices in her workplace. And yet another person I talked with talked about his interest in musical complexity. He talked about rhythmic complexity and melodic complexity. And interestingly, the same person also talked about his interest in the complexity of identity, all the different selves that we're composed of. Wow, that is really quite striking. You only talked to five people and such a variety in the responses. And it's a good question to ask our listeners. Think for a moment. What kinds of complexity do you like to explore? Well, you know, Shari, it's also interesting to note how these ideas map into some of the ways of hiding mentioned earlier, like the single story. Some people are actually interested in digging into messy issues with multiple viewpoints. Or, let's see, the illusion of explanatory depth. But... Some people are interested in how those tricky mechanical gadgets work, or even Obamacare, or the complexity of our unconscious skills, like the languages we speak. Mm. Well, coming back to the question of when to go looking for complexity, in addition to following your curiosity, another time that's important is when an action or a decision might lead to serious unforeseen consequences or unintended effects, whether you're curious or not. This is when being sensitive to the complexity of systems is so important. For example, from a systems perspective, there are countless examples concerning the unforeseen consequences and the environment. For instance, spraying a chemical to eliminate certain weeds or bugs can have disastrous, unforeseen, far-reaching effects on ecosystems. Or, in the same spirit, consider the often unforeseen consequences of social and legal policies. Land use, zoning, criminal sentencing policies, and so many other practices are a bit simplistically designed to address one issue. And they end up with ripple effects that go out and out and create systemic problems. As citizens or members of some community, you might feel you should understand more about which ripples are likely and what the trade-offs might be. You might want to share a rich picture of the possible complexities toward generative conversations with others. So. Lots of reasons to go looking for complexity, but hold on a minute. None of this means we should always go looking for complexity. Of course, there is the who has the time factor. That's very real. 
But it's more than that. There are also specifically bad times to poke around. What do you think about that one, Shari? You know, I think you're right. One big bad time, I think, is when looking probably brings you to junctures you don't have the tools to manage. For example, and actually this is a personal one, trying to find your way through complicated physical terrain without the right equipment, such as a compass or a cell phone, having cell phone service. And Dave, this happened to me recently. I found myself in a forest without cell phone service and without a compass. Dumb. Another example would be taking apart a mechanism that you don't have the tools or the know-how to put back together, like your smartphone. In the psychological realm, another time to be wary of unearthing complexity might be asking questions or engaging in conversations that create complicated emotional vulnerabilities you aren't equipped to address, like thoughtlessly probing someone's personal history in a way that brings out painful memories. In general, I guess there are various kinds of risks. The risk could be physical, or the risk of public opinion, or even worse, the risk of being caught for a crime. I think about Galileo exploring the complexities of the universe, or people harboring refugees exploring the complexities of concealment. Mm, yeah. Well, to shift gears a bit, maybe another time not to go looking for complexity is when we're feeling gratitude or receiving a kindness. Someone's kind to us, and rather than going looking for complex motives, it's best just to graciously accept. Thinking again about the challenge of beauty. While sometimes analysis is called for, sometimes can enrich the experience, also in-the-moment immersion can be precious. Immersion in the beauty of a sunset or experiencing a bird song. Well, let's step back a minute here. We've talked a bit about how complexity hides, and we've talked about when to go looking for it and when not to go looking for it. But what about the how? How to go looking for it? What tool, what techniques do we have, especially ones that are easy to use and easy to teach? Great question. And Dave, it's worth pointing out that in this conversation, we're not so interested in problem-solving tools, that is, tools that make complexity dissolve or go away, but rather tools that help us uncover it, navigate it, and explore it. So what tools do we have to do these sort of things? Well, one set of tools is any kind of brainstorming technique that helps to widen out a possibility space. A classic example would be brainstorming a list of questions about something. The something could be a work of art, a political situation, or even a simple object like a teacup. Just challenge yourself to come up with, say, 10 different kinds of questions about an object in front of you or a topic that's been on their mind. And you'll probably discover all kinds of complexity you might go on to dig into using those questions. So true. Well, similarly, we can intentionally brainstorm multiple perspectives on something. For example, by asking what are some different ways that an object or situation might be viewed, who might be connected, who are the stakeholders, who cares, who doesn't care. These sorts of perspectives, like brainstorming questions, really open up a possibility space. Coming at it from another angle, it's important to remember that complexity is, well, complex. Uh, there it is. And it can be hard to hold in mind. 
So a really helpful technique for exploring complexity is to graphically capture it or map it in some way. Make a concept map, make a web, draw a diagram, or make a chart. Write ideas on sticky notes and then move them around to find patterns or categories. The basic idea is to make complexity visible, downloading the process of exploring it onto a graphic representation so that it becomes more accessible. Yes, even as it sprawls and even as your sense of it all evolves. Mm. You know, for another technique, Dave, I'm thinking back to an earlier thinkability episode we did on thinking routines. Thinking routines are often designed to uncover and map complexity. And one in particular that jumps to my mind comes from Project Zero's Agency by Design project. And actually, Dave, it was inspired by a book you wrote many years ago called Knowledge as Design. The routine is called Parts, Purposes, Complexities. It was designed to bring out the systems dimension of complexity because it makes us think about the many different parts of something, the many different purposes or roles those parts may have, and the complex way that parts and purposes interact as systems. And interestingly, though the routine itself is aimed toward bringing out complexity, it's quite simple to use and it works well with learners of almost any age. I have a really nice memory of seeing kindergartners do an awesome job of using the routine on a simple three-legged stool that they happen to have in the classroom, which, not surprisingly, didn't turn out to be so simple once they all noticed all the different parts of the stool and how those different parts interacted to make the stool work. Great example. Three-legged stool. Well, that shows you again how complexity hides. That simple stool is not so simple. All right, maybe it's time to wrap up. We've talked a bit about all three questions we started out with. Where complexity hides, when to go looking for it or not, and what are some techniques for helping us explore complexity? What do you think, Shari? Are there any messages for education that particularly stand out? Well, big one for me is, it's a simple one. Don't be afraid of complexity. As the three-legged stool shows and other examples as well, even young minds can fruitfully explore complexity when it's done in a spirited way, when the goal is to explore and uncover rather than solve or resolve. And simple techniques like you mentioned brainstorming, Dave, and visual napping and thinking routines, all of these can really help. So true. And relatedly, another big message is that it's important to learn how to explore complexity. Why? Well, because the world is a complex place, and many of the contexts and challenges young people will need to navigate in their lives have multiple layers and dimensions. It's all too easy to fall into what one might call complexity aversion the temptation to settle with a simple cover story or the simple explanation. But much of the time, that just won't do. Big problems tend to be complex. And even when there isn't a problem to be solved, the development of new knowledge often involves wrangling with complexity, whether it's the complexity of physics or the complexity of the human psyche or, well, just about any aspect of the world we live in. Hmm, the importance of complexity. 
That's a great closing thought. So let's end it there. Listeners, we'll be back in a few weeks and we hope you'll join us again. Until then, thanks for listening. And as always, you can find the Thinkability podcasts on the Project Zero website or on Substack, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dave, see you later. See you later, Shari.